Welcome back to another episode of Somewhere Between, a podcast made by Asian adoptees for Asian adoptees. I'm Alia, and today we're discussing growing up in a white community from the Filipino adoptees perspective. We are joined by Filipino adoptees, Ali and Arilyn. Hi, my name is Ali. Um, I'm an adoptee. I was adopted in San Diego. I was actually left in a box on a doorstep um, back in the 80s, and it was kind of like a big deal at the time, and so it was on the news. Um, so I ended up growing up and having these like video clips of my kind of adoption abandonment story that we would really watch on my birthday every year. Um, but I, yeah, so I grew up in San Diego, currently live in Seattle now. Um, I'm working in tech. Um, and hopefully we'll get to move back to California next year. Oh, nice. But that's that's crazy. I would love to hear more about that and like what that experience is like. Arlen, do you want to share? Yes, um, I'm Arlen and I'm a Filipino adoptee. I was born in Manila in 83 and adopted when I was six months. And um, I was adopted to a family in Tennessee, and that's where I grew up and continue to live now. Um, I work as an occupational therapy assistant, and I work with kids, and yeah, just happy to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you guys on and kind of hear what your perspective is like, because I only know it from my side. So I'd like to see kind of just like, I just like hearing other people's stories. So I'm excited to talk with you guys today. To start off, uh, I just wanted to ask you guys the question of, you know, were there me- many people of color around you growing up? And, you know, more specifically, were there people of your birth culture um, around you? Um, I'd say for me, kind of, <laughs> yes. So technically, uh, my dad, uh, my adopted dad is Mexican and my mom's white. And so I actually grew up kind of like identifying more closely with like Hispanic Latino culture, just because that was half of my my dad's side of the family. So we'd like have pozole on Christmas or make like tamales or something. And so I definitely grew up feeling a draw there. So I didn't feel like I was totally secluded or like only around white people. Um, But later on, like when I was in middle school um, was when I really started to realize like being Asian was being was different than being Mexican um, and that people started to realize that and ask me a lot of questions. And so, yeah, so I, I think that helped like at least seeing brownness for me, um, but it definitely still left a lot of gaps because I was the only Filipino in my family. Mm-hmm. How about in your school? Um, yeah, school was often, so like the area in San Diego that I grew up in was like predominantly Latino. Um, And Mm -hmm. so that also kind of made it feel like, okay, well, I'm not super, like, I don't stand out a ton. Um, But yeah, I had a weird moment, I guess, like to go back to those middle school experiences where like, most of my friends growing up were white. But then in middle school, something changed and they started to like realize that I wasn't also white and would start to say like super racist things to me and ask me like, why do Asians put stuffed animals in their cars or like want me to be the spokesperson for what Asianness was and that made me feel really uncomfortable. So I started oh to my. like seek out other Asians. Yeah. And like so then that kind of experience drew me to other and that's where I found like two of my best friends growing up. Um two are Vietnamese oh. and the other one was Filipino. And so we kind of found each other and then that became kind of my friend group moving forward. Yeah. Developing a community through shared experiences. Mm-hmm. What about you, Arlen? Oh, I grew up in a mostly uh, not completely rural area, I guess maybe semi-rural area, but it was predominantly white, and so was the schools. Um, So there weren't many, like, people of color um, growing up, and um, there were, like, I was one of, I think, three Asian kids, and one of them actually is also a Filipino adoptee and he came over when we were in fifth grade and um, unfortunately like didn't all become very close I think we were all just trying to survive because it was very it was very aware for us that we weren't white and kind of experienced being othered um, as a you know predominant group I think we were just trying to get by and so 
instead of banding together, I think we just all tried to fit in our like different friend groups. Mm, that's understandable, especially when you're young, because you do just want to be friends with people, you know, you don't want to just make friends because you're feeling left out and othered. And it's a difficult thing to have to go through as a child, especially when you say that, like, you know, there is someone who like is supposed is similar. And like, if there's that draw of like, oh, we should be but at the same time, the world kind of doesn't let you without it coming down on you and people saying, oh, you guys are just friends because you're all Asian or like all Asians know each other. And that mm-hmm. kind of garbage. <laughs> Did you ever connect with the uh, other Filipino adoptee? Um, we actually went to the eighth grade dance together. And, and it was really cute. It was fun. Um, and actually, his sister did my uh, tattoo, which is uh, a tattoo I did to, to my birth mother. Um, but again, like, I remember at the dance, someone said, oh, what's it like dancing with your cousin? And I was like, you know, just really aware of, like, how other people kind of saw us. I just remember kind of distancing myself from him. Um, and I felt really bad about that. But also I remember at the time, I I just didn't know what it was like to be a peanut because I didn't have examples growing up. And mm-hmm. so I just remember really just regretting that I kind of let my insecurities then as a kid kind of distance myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel that. I think we all wish like, we did something better or like didn't let things get to us but it's like on one hand it's supernatural I like not supernatural but very natural for us as kids to be really like insecure and like you're saying like we just want to fit in and kind of belong and so like we definitely made decisions that may have like harmed us or not been the best choices for us like as far as mental health but like I don't know I try not to get like be too hard on myself about it because I think about that a lot too like if I just had more confidence I wouldn't have cared like or if I just had brushed all that stuff off like I would be so much better off now but it's not super helpful I realize <laughs> yeah the would haves and should haves and could have right. they're, they're a monster of its own mm. and definitely like you guys say it's so hard because you're a kid you know you're just trying to survive and it kind of goes back to what the parents always tell us of like, oh, like you should do this because like, you know, you're going to regret it when you're an adult. And as a kid, you're like, eh, no. But then adulthood <laughs> comes and you're like, darn, I messed up. Yeah. I and I think. Is- no, I'm sorry. Go. I was just going to say, I think as kids, you know, we don't really have the language to express like as we do as an adult about um, just deeper things. And I think we're maybe as adoptees we're aware of it but we just can't name it at the time because there's not really that language to mm. into, yeah. into mm-hmm. those things yeah for sure so i know that you guys didn't have um kind of a whole lot of people around you that you you know felt similar to or um a lot of cultural stuff what did your parents kind of do for you did they take you to like I don't know if there's equivalent of like, you know, like we have Chinese school. So is there like Filipino school or do they kind of force you to do like the cultural events? Like, what was your experience like? Well, my mom actually, and I guess this probably ages me, but she, I remember one time she gave me like tape cassettes of Tagalog, um, but I was like seven. And so I didn't know what to do with them. And I don't think I ever used them. And I wish I had. Um and there weren't really any, like, culture camps or anything around. I do remember, though, there was, like, um, I forget the name of the organization, but there were, like, Filipino adoptees that would meet up each summer, like, have mm-hmm. picnics. And I think we went to them until I was, like, five or six, um, but we didn't really go to them very often. Hmm. Did you enjoy going to them? Um or was it kind of I like really remember them. Dragged? Yeah, I don't really remember them, honestly. Um, but mm-hmm. I think if like maybe we'd gone more consistently, I probably would have like built more relationships, but I don't really remember them. Mm. It's kind of like those short term like summer camp relationships. Yeah. Mm. How about you, Arlen? Yeah, no. <laughs> um, I think 
any like I feel like all of my exposure to culture like Filipino culture was like self initiated because I think growing up my parents I have two older brothers who are also adopted but one's Mexican and the other is white so they both had a parent who they could kind of identify with and this is like a recent revelation it seems really obvious but like there's a recent revelation that like that was why I became so invested in finding out about Filipino cultures because like I could see my brothers kind of like being acclimated or like I don't know, like normalized in terms of their adoptions. Like they didn't really seem to care very much growing up. Um, but for some, like I did because, and that's because I didn't have anybody in my family that I could like identify with. But I remember having like one children's book, I think that my parents were teachers. And so my mom, I guess from a friend or something, got like one book that was like English and Tagalog. And that was, and it was called The Boy Who Ate the Stars. And it was like the one book that I had that I knew was like okay that that kid's me like he's like me um but so beyond that yeah it wasn't until like middle school and high school that I really felt like I could get involved and it was because of like but the friends that I had that were Filipino um and like funnily enough like it wasn't like summer camp but I remember some of their families had like it's a very common Filipino thing to have like a, it's like a social club where it's like a bunch of Filipinos in the community belong to this kind of like organization and they meet up like monthly or have a party, like kind of formal part, like almost like a prom or something, right? Like the parents and the kids like all get dressed up and go to these events. And I remember going to those with my friends and then finding it like super weird because there was nothing like that, like growing up for me. And, um, but it, really helped to foster like tight-knit community with those families like because it was like all the same kids grew up together all the parents know each other and so I realized that was how they kind of like built that kind of community of like close-knit families who all lived within a certain like radius of each other I suppose yeah oh that's awesome that you had that yeah Yeah. I could kind of just like tag along I guess and be like okay this is what it's supposed to be like (laughs) and it's definitely like a nicer way to connect to your culture because we can read all we want and watch whatever like the movies and documentaries but it's just so much different from actually being a part of it and experiencing it and sometimes that can be so daunting yeah yeah absolutely that's a great point actually I guess I didn't realize that like having that introduction like from a friend like having a friend like kind of hold my hand and be like here's what it's like like made that really positive and it, and it could have gone really bad so if I yeah I was plopped into like a class or something that felt really rigid or weird um then I definitely could have had a different kind of reaction to it for sure so it's, yeah it's super interesting mm-hmm. so Arlen what was kind of your method of connecting with your culture oh it didn't really Did happen for me until like my 30s um and I actually met one of my really good Filipino friends through my cousins um at their like Christmas party um she was sitting down at the end of the like dining room table and I saw her I was like I wonder if she's Filipino and I was like yeah (laughs) and then we talked about how we're both in college and it turned out that we're in the same college and so became friends really quickly and I told her I was interested in learning more about like my birth culture I didn't like have any anyone to like tell me much and so she like um kind of adopted me into her friend group and since then I've gotten to know more uh, Filipinas that way and they've invited me to like different house parties I karaoke with (laughs) them and like it was just a great bonding experience oh that's really beautiful that like no matter what age like you you find someone and you build this community and you just kind of carry it with it through your life yeah yeah so did you guys I know like in your areas you didn't really um have too much exposure did you like how did you feel about uh media growing up because in general you don't see many people, many Asians in general, let alone, you know, Southeast Asians, like island, Pacific Islanders. What was that kind of like for you? Yeah, I um, definitely grew up like on Disney movies. And so 
I ended up, yeah, gravitating towards whoever looked the closest like me, even though it wasn't directly, yeah, like correlated. So like, uh, probably like Princess Jasmine or Pocahontas, like I was obsessed um, for a long time and then eventually like Mulan. Um, but still, yeah, I don't know that I ever knew of anyone probably until like my late teens or 20s that was like Filipino in the media. Like you had Dante Bosco from Hook. Uh, yeah <laughs> and then the debut came out with like early when was that like early 2000 maybe or maybe I don't know yeah. maybe before but that was like the one movie about Filipino culture um and I just remember being super excited about that um but definitely didn't ever feel like I saw really like myself in anything mm. definitely can relate to that um I didn't I think it wasn't really also until my like my thirties when I realized I was a woman of color and saw myself as Filipino. And so I don't know that I really searched for it, but I'm sure a part of me did. Um, but I definitely don't remember seeing a representation of Asian culture, Filipino culture growing up. And I remember I watched like a, a dateline or something when I was younger and it was talking about how Asians are like the silent minority. I remember that really bothered me and it made me feel really sad. And I didn't know why. I just knew that felt like that was how people viewed us. It it just didn't make me feel good. Um, Mm -hmm. Like I was really into like ice skating and I remember seeing like Michelle Kwan and Christy Yamaguchi. And I was like, (laughs) I loved watching them. And I was like, okay, they're, even though I don't, I'm not, like like them as far as I'm Filipino, I was like it was great to see um them being represented, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Did you guys find that you kind of just subconsciously connected to them and you're like, I'm rooting for you just because yeah. you have this hundred percent of like race connection. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> Cause I I definitely still find it where I don't know, like when you have those uh, even like a cooking show and I'm like you I relate to you (laughs) yes yeah yeah Yeah. so a lot of your experiences kind of happened um when you're older and since then kind of what have you been doing like have you felt um like more of a need to pursue your culture or make more connections because I know you guys have like developed friendships and you've you know become part of these communities um for me I mean I eventually I guess this kind of like crosses over from the last question of like, I I pursued finding out more about Filipino culture through like student organizations. So as soon as I got to like college, I found the like Filipino student orgs and joined those. And that was really my like exposure. I think beyond like my friends who brought me into their houses and like taught me about the food and taking off your shoes in the house. Um, the student orgs definitely got me more connected to like the culture and the history side. And so I got really active um, kind of in the community there, like being part of an organization that kind of served as a like Filipino mentorship program where we'd like go in and mentor like high school students. Um, I really just went because it was a gathering of like Filipinos <laughs> and like we would talk about like cultural issues. And um, so I just I basically went to all the meetings and didn't actually go into the classrooms <laughs> on the days we were supposed mm-hmm. to go. But um, I felt like I was learning as much as like the high school students at that time. But um, yeah, I think now it's even more important because I ended up my husband's Filipino and my son's Filipino. And so that's something that over the years has definitely become really ingrained in kind of my identity and I want my son to like know where he comes from and be really proud of his culture and and now that he has like my husband's family it's definitely something that's stronger for him but like yeah it's it's almost like now I just feel like it's even more important for me to to know those things and like help him as he's like growing up and figuring out who he is like to be proud of his history Hmm. For me, I I guess it coincided with the time that I just wanted to know what it meant to be an adoptee, like, and, and like, pursue my origin, my birth origins, but also pursue what it meant to be Filipino. And um, when I was, 
after college, I realized I kind of wanted to go back to college and I thought about um, like studying Asian studies, but I'm just not at the point in life when I can do that. And everyone always told me if you want to know more about being Filipino in America, go to California. I'm in Tennessee, so that's also not something I can do. Um, but I'm kind of a nerd and I like research and so and I'm reading. And so I just found books and um, anything that I could get my hands on where I could read more about my culture. Um, I also kind of um, curated my social media so that I was following a bunch of Filipino writers, uh, Filipino poets, Mm -hmm. um, and just try to like immerse in, in the culture that way. And then when I was able to like connections through people on social media then I was able to like make connections and like um, just open the door to conversations with people that um, I wouldn't have been able to otherwise through social media and just learn from other people what it means to be Filipino. Mm. So are there any specific um, like books or people that you listened to or read about that really stood out to you and kind of helped you connect more or you felt like you related to in some way? Um, Definitely. And I think Allie knows one of them, uh, (laughs) Barbara Jane Reyes. Um, I found her work through, I think, some some other um, Asian American poet that I was following. And when I found out she was Filipino, like I was like, oh, well, I, I definitely like, want to read more of her work um and I just I I follow her on social media and she also seems like an amazing cook and (laughs) another thing is like the the food is so important to the Filipino culture and so that's another that I've gotten linked into um yeah I just I really find it awesome that she gets to connect with non-traditional Filipinos and she's trying to grow like a curriculum for Pinay literature and just angling now but yeah oh wow that's amazing yeah totally I love it no this is something Arlen and I connected on like early and I was super excited because I I ended up becoming a writer I think because of my like search for this identity and like writing and journaling was where I tried to like hash it all out by myself which is weird but I like or I it's not weird I guess I shouldn't say that but um because a lot of people journal I think it's just for me like it became my outlet for like figuring out how I felt about a lot of these things when I didn't feel like I had anyone to talk to um but so I ended up like majoring in creative writing and got my MFA in poetry um largely because of writers like Barbara Jane Reyes um, I also have to shout out um, Janice Sapigao because she's a poet also, Filipino, um, and is actually currently like the Santa Clara County Poet Laureate. Um, wow. And wow. so, yeah, so right now, so you can go look her up. She's awesome. Um, and I, I met her through like all of my community kind of connects and maybe hung out before and she's awesome. But um, yeah, I'll just say like, I'm super curious, like Arlen, like what was it about I'm mainly curious because, like, I'm a writer and, like, so poetry also obviously is something that, like, I've always kind of loved. But I wonder, I was curious for you, like, if you write and enjoy poetry because of that or found poetry another way and just enjoy reading it. And, like, I'm super curious. I've always enjoyed uh, poetry ever since I was a kid. Um, I had a really hard time in school as far as, like, uh, like socially and I just books were my like refuge and poetry became that I did dabble in writing and I have written some um, but reading it for me has just always been I don't know I, I tell people like poetry is my other love language and I just get uh, really passionate when I see other people um, who use poetry as an outlet to express themselves. Oh, fellow poetry lovers, it makes me so happy. I know, all right? I love it. I always say like whenever I like poetry or like um, I 
or I'll post something about a quote that I just really love from a piece of writing. People were like, oh, it's so old. <laughs> <laughs> Man, no, like... It's just a beautiful style of writing and it really connects to the soul, okay? <laughs> totally. Yeah. yeah. No, I think like for me, I, yeah, I always love poetry and, and writing together in tandem. Like I was always writing and I was always reading stuff. And so I was never able to like separate those. But I think that for me, like I had such an eye-opening experience when I went to grad school that, um, and just super thankful. Like I had a mentor who was actually a white woman, but like showed me all of these books by writers who are Asian American or Filipino and like introduced oh, me wow. to a lot of that. So like, I'm, that's why I'm really impressed by like Arlen makes my heart happy because like, I don't know if I ever would have found that if I wasn't like on this track already to like study it, you know, like, so um, yeah. it's just really cool to me that you found it so organically and just out of your love of reading, like stumbled upon these writers who like not a lot of people know of, but yeah, for me, I was just super lucky to like run into it on like from the academic side, but um, still happy that I I have those writers in my on my yeah. shelves. I discovered it also through um, like poetry readings in the local area. And I noticed a lot of the poetry readings I went to. Like I started going to slam poetry, which I loved, and then I started going to more like academic. Um, literary readings um and i actually volunteer for like a writing residency um i love about it i found that i could connect with more people of color through that because there are more people of color who are doing poetry i think that was a big connection for me too so for you guys i know it helped with culture how about when it came to addressing adoption and like the role it played in your life yeah, I, I think for me, I like that's kind of all I could write about for many, many years. Um, but and partly because I wasn't finding it or seeing that kind of story or narrative anywhere else. Um, mm. And I think everything like the first my my first book or like my um, it was my thesis for my MFA program Um was like a hundred percent about like identity and belonging. And so whether or not I was like directly talking about adoption, it was always still about like whether or not I felt like I belonged in a place or like how other people made me feel like I didn't belong or just that exploration. Um, so I'm trying to think if I like read any other books or things, like I know they're out there and it probably wasn't until way later that someone actually like showed me like a book by an adoptee but um yeah how about you arlen um sorry could you like elaborate on the question um kind of just curious of like writing can be very cathartic and you know as you guys have mentioned it's a really great way of expressing yourself and like connecting to others and it you it helped you connect to your culture um and as Ali was speaking about, you know, it kind of helped her address like identity and, you know, what it meant to belong to her. So did you kind of fi find writing helpful in that similar way? Yeah, um, I agree. It's definitely a cathartic process to be able to write about it. Um, I've not really written a great deal about my adoption experience. I want to because I feel like that's like a story that I need to share. I just I think it's still kind of locked in my head as far as how do I channel that and how do I mm -hmm. write about some things that are like really painful, but also like balance it with like more of the joy of of being an adoptee. And so I think I'm in like the slower part of the process where I'm just trying to outline it for myself before I like mm -hmm. it comes to fruition on the page. But that, it's definitely something I would love to do. Yeah, I'd be. I would love to read what you guys have written. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's hard. I like. I resonate a lot with you, what you said, Arlen, about like, I don't know, just a sense of like 
being ready or like figuring out exactly what you want to say or like taking that time to like I don't know if I'll ever feel that way because I've like started and stopped like trying to write about my story a ton of times like I don't know if it'll actually be like a memoir or maybe I'll fictionalize fictionalize it a little bit like to create some kind of space between my actual experience and what I really want to say about it I think part of the reason why that's been so hard is because I've now since met my birth parents and that they're like now kind of in my life or like around me it's been so hard to figure out like how do I be honest with how do I feel and like still be aware that these people are in my life and like wanting to make space for other people and their feelings and it's weird Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's a lot to like mentally wrap your head around and sort Mm -hmm. through all those thoughts and emotions and try to kind of tell that to someone else sometimes words just don't feel right Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. and I I feel like it can change so often too right and I don't know like both of you I don't know if you feel like you kind of like are on a roller coaster sometimes or like you have really good days weeks months and then you have like a weird period where you're just like I hate everything and everyone or I don't know like (laughs) I think the pandemic definitely like increased that because I was going through like a grief process in January when I found out about my Brooks family and then the pandemic hit and it's like, I feel like I'm on like so many different roller coasters with that. Mm. So if you guys are comfortable talking about it, um, I'm really interested to know and kind of how you guys were able to find your birth family did you have um documentation that kind of led you to clues or did they reach out uh was there some organization you worked with and i apologize some of this might be kind of heavy um i actually it was a combination of social media and also mm-hmm. um the philippines has like a inner country adoption board that i reached out to um, but I wasn't able to get a lot of information from them. Um, and then I found out that my my adoptive mom actually had my case study information, but I wasn't meant to see it, but I found it. <laughs> and this is a long story, but I did like get my case study and I found out that I had like multiple siblings and unfortunately they passed away. And so I and I've had documentation like I had my original birth certificate and I had the correspondence from my social workers to my adoption my adopted parents I had kind of used that in the past to like try to see if I could connect with people um like I tried emailing people I tried reaching out to people on Facebook just and I felt weird I was like hey you know I'm adopted and I'm just trying to find this information about myself um, and it felt very much like that book, Are You My Mother, or that children's book where you're, like, trying to find this part of yourself and you're going to all these different outlets trying to mm-hmm. find something. And I eventually, through social media, was and was able to locate my two birth siblings in January. Um, and so that was very emotional um, and a lot to unpack. Um, I was, I was very grateful to be able to like find them. I can only imagine like what that whole process must have been been like where you're hunting them down and you're, you know, grasping and trying to find out whatever information you can and then it happens and like what kind of felt like a dream becomes reality. Yeah, it definitely is a surreal reality. Um. I mean, even now, it's it's kind of haunting because I'm not sure what to make of it. Like, it's not something mm-hmm. that's concrete and makes a lot of sense to me. I'm just trying to work through it, you know, day by day. Yeah. yeah. Do you keep in touch with them? Um, I did, like, the first few months since January. Um, and then with the pandemic, they were also affected by, like, lack of power and stuff and like the communication Mm. wasn't that Mm. great um but we still try to stay connected like monthly that's good 
So are they still in the Philippines or were they yes, adopted? They other are. Um, so my sister was uh, adopted by another family member. And then our oldest brother, he he was the only one that stayed with both my mother and father. And then my parents had separated. He had stayed. He was raised by my father. Hmm. But they didn't know anything about me until it was revealed that they they'd found me that weren't aware of me Mm. unaware of you in what way that that you had connected to the family or I don't think that they known that about me or that I was adopted Mm. oh okay yeah um how about you Allie was how was your experience yeah um mine was like a little bit similar in in terms of like a lot of people didn't know about me either and so I had to kind of reconcile that but fortunately like because I was a domestic adoptee it turned out that my birth parents were both living like pretty close to me when I was in San Diego um so yeah they initially found me through social media um and that was because I had put my like adoptee information on one of those websites you know when I was 18 or something and hoping one day somebody would come looking for my for me or my info and um it turns out a relative of my birth father found me through that um and messaged me on Facebook like this was probably 2014 2013 um probably 2014 um and so I met both my birth father and my birth mother, they were basically kind of had a relationship, had a thing. She got pregnant, didn't tell him. Um, or so I don't know, it's a little bit cloudy. Like I think she told him that she had an abortion. Um, and he like actually gave her money or something to go do. And then they just never talked again. Um, so he didn't know that um she actually had me and then and then gave me up. And so That whole thing was that, yeah, she was like 17, had me in the back of a car with the help of her friends, put me in a box and left me on a doorstep of a friend that they, like a family friend they knew was a nurse. Um, And so it's, it's been such a weird ride, that part. Like, I think, I don't know, as an adoptee, like you can't help but think of your birth parents kind of your whole life and wonder. Um, Mm -hmm. But when I finally met them, yeah, there was just a lot of kind of, it felt really weird that like, this is real and you're actually here and you're, (laughs) um, and and, like, it's nice. I think in the beginning, everybody like was really excited and had good intentions. But I think the further we tried to like develop a relationship and like integrate each other in our lives, it proved to be a lot harder than we thought. (laughs) At least for me, I, I started to feel really overwhelmed with having like, I had just gotten married to my husband, so I had in-laws. I had this two other separate families. And then, surprise, I had four half-sisters, um, two. And so, like, holidays were a nightmare because I had to, like, schedule everybody in and, like, try to figure out how to make everybody happy. When, um, and so that seems like a weird thing to complain about, I guess. But it's, like, it just felt like I was spreading, my, like, trying to make everyone happy um, and not mm-hmm. really, like, putting myself or my own feelings first like there was definitely a period when my birth father came on very strong and like wanted to have dinner every week and talk on the phone and um you know like call him dad and I was like I have a dad who raised me and I'm actually really close with him and so it was hard for me to like can't just jump in like that (laughs) and like expect him to immediately like be that person but um yeah and then with my birth mom it was a little bit harder um because my birth mother was harder because I think she was still very much ashamed or like carrying a lot of guilt around it and so mm-hmm. like Arlen like no one knew about me and so she had to tell them at the point that we reconnected um and I think there was just a lot of like there's a Filipino thing about like chismis or gossip and yes. so they do a lot of things right to like protect the image of the family and so I feel like there was just a lot of that going around where she didn't really want to like outright acknowledge who I was um and so like I'd end up at family parties and like a cousin or something came up to me and was like whose daughter are you and like literally I literally like had to explain by myself and like watch my birth mother kind of like walk away and kind of dismiss it um 
-hmm. And so that became really difficult. And so we ended up like, after that, just, I ended up kind of like severing that relationship because I was like, you know what, I can't deal with it like this and be part of your life if it's going to be this hard to just be open and honest and like yeah so we don't speak but um yeah I think it just for me it was just a lot of things a lot of desires like wanting to be fulfilled but then also like feeling the disappointment that it's not exactly how you like hope that it's going to pan out yeah definitely especially with like um, as you mentioned with your mother, it feels like she's still pushing you away. Mm-hmm. And that's so hard because there you as you mentioned, like you're trying to balance this building a relationship with them while also, you know, trying to manage your own feelings. And I don't mm-hmm. blame you for stepping away from that kind of relationship because it's hurtful. Yeah. Yeah. I, like as I, I wrote about it and like have little snippets but it's like she abandoned me twice like yeah. I was there in front of her and like she straight up like ignored me and like wouldn't acknowledge who I was and that felt just as bad like it was just the trauma all over again and I don't think she realizes like that's what it was mm-hmm. for me um but yeah absolutely like I don't know it's hard God, I'm so sorry you had to go through that two times. And as an adult, like it's, I don't think it hits any less. I think it hits more, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. And like it was, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, okay, I'm in my 30s or whatever. And I have my own kid at this point. But it's like, you're still the mom. Like I'm looking to you to like guide us and like be the person to like, ask me how I'm feel like this is not on me to make her comfortable it, it always felt like mm-hmm. I had to be making room for her feelings and like she felt bad and I needed to be nicer about like whatever you know or like or just not talk about it because it makes her uncomfortable and then like the more I thought about it like as an adult I'm like screw that like that is not my responsibility at all yeah because she's the older one she's supposed to be the parent you're supposed Mm -hmm. to play the role of the kid Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. did you kind of find um similar difficulties arlen when you're i guess talking with your birth family or um, i'm not sure if you talked with your birth parents so i like i said early on like i i talked to them but i guess with time by I realize it's hard for me to like relate to them. Um, I don't speak mm-hmm. to Gog, and the only way they understand me is because my niece is a school teacher, and so she's able to translate. Um, but I guess I, I just have a hard time relating to them, and um, you know, they're very nice and they seem like they're very open. Um, I guess. Right now, I'm in that place where I'm kind of guarding my heart because I can't stand Mm -hmm. for there to be any more pain right now Um, because finding out my birth family history kind of forced me to, like, sever a relationship with my adopted mom. And so I've not just been able to get in that space where I can be vulnerable with others right now. Um, So that's kind of where I'm at now. Yeah, it sounds like a lot to deal with all at one time. And you said this all happened right before COVID. So then you're just in this kind of pandemic stress as well. Yeah, um, I did find out from them that my birth parents passed away when um, I guess it was like in the 90s. But so my mom had died in a car wreck and then my birth father Mm. died from diabetes, which is ironic because my adoptive father also passed away when I was a baby from complications mm. of juvenile diabetes. So it's oh I was just like, man, I can't win with the, the dads, you know. So mm. it's like a cruel, twisted Disney story. Yeah. yeah. That's hard. God, I'm so sorry. Man, families are just such an interesting thing because like regardless if they're your birth family or your adoptive, there's someone you want to be close with and the name of being family 
you think you're like it's automatically it's like oh we're gonna be close and like I have you to lean on but it's just can be so different and I think as an adoptee you kind of have that hope maybe like you're not expecting it but you kind of have that hope that maybe you will be close I think there's always that desire to I don't know maybe that inner child desire to please and desire Mm -hmm. to have like a relationship um but I also one of my like best friends told me families where you find them and I think that's been like the best advice that I've picked up especially in my 30s um, and just being able to give myself the freedom to build community where I can, like through yeah. Asian adoptees, through other adopted communities. And that's been really beautiful for me. Mm. I think that's great. Like, similarly, like my husband tells me that all the time. Of Like, what else do you, like, you have me, you have, you have our son. Like, there's nothing... I think, like, if anything, if there's any, like, advice for anybody out there who, like, really desperately wants to meet their birth parents or, like, wants to look for them, like, I always felt growing up like it was going to fill some gap or hole in my heart or whatever that it felt like it was missing. But I think as an adult, I look back and, like, you should never feel like you have, like, put that on somebody else that they're going to be a missing piece, whether that's a partner or a parent or otherwise, that, like, they can't that's not an expectation that like they can really fulfill realistically. And like, that's where the most pain comes from is this expectation that they're going to swoop in and like be everything that you needed and like fill in all the gaps and, um, you know, demystify all this, these things that you wonder about yourself. And like, sure you get the, like what I got out of it ultimately it was like health history and like, Oh, I look a lot like my birth father. I sound like my birth mother and laugh like her. Um, and like some you know other like biological like mannerisms and traits and things but other than that like emotionally like yeah like you have to find that in your friends and the people that you choose to be your family because it's a lot to put on another person that you don't know um and that's really hard to deal with if you if you approach it that way i think that's i love that advice and I think for me, like that just like listening to you say that just really hit home because I'm definitely one of those adoptees who kind of in some small way, like felt not that it would fill a hole, but kind of that desire for an answer to like this puzzle piece spot that's missing. Mm-hmm. Like closure or whatever. Yeah. 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 Like ha- just having an answer will make you feel better, but you're right. It, it doesn't. The only thing that makes you feel better is finding your answer within yourself. And as you guys said, finding your own family and choosing who you, you know, you want to keep in your life for people who care about you genuinely. So before we wrap up, I just wanted to um, give you guys the chance to, you know, share any final thoughts or um, maybe any advice or, you know. I don't know. I think like the last thing that I would say, or I feel like, so I, I go to therapy and I, so I talk to my therapist about this all the time and like feel like um, that I should be at a certain place because I'm, you know, 30 something and married and have a kid that like I've I have this like life experience that should make me feel OK somehow or like not be as traumatized or affected by my adoption. Um, But the thing that I am always reminded or she always reminds me is that like, it's a constant journey. Like there will never be Mm -hmm. like, I'm not going to reach 50 and suddenly be like, this is great. I'm okay with everything in my life. Like there isn't a milestone and it's not like, I don't know, like I have that weird, like perfectionist tendency to think like, okay, like once I've reached this, this is what success looks like. That It's a cycle Mm -hmm. and it's always going to be a cycle and there isn't any point where I'm going to reach like adoptee perfection whatever that is like it's just always there like no matter how old you are I don't know if you feel the same way Arlen yeah I agree um I thought naively in my 30s I'd be like I'll achieve it all or I'll understand it all and no that's not the case it's more of realizing there's so much to unlearn and so much to like deconstruct Mm -hmm. um to just be able to like find a way to give myself grace to do that 
Um, and also, like, for me personally, just navigating that, um, that it's okay to seek help for, like, mm-hmm. mental health. Um, and I was talking to a friend um, who's Asian, and she was talking about how there's a lot of stigma in the Asian community of why we don't seek mental health. And I think that's a narrative mm-hmm. that a lot of us, I think, are trying to push back. And so just want to encourage others if they're on the journey and even if they're not on the journey to finding their birth families um just know that it's completely okay and normal to seek help and if you need to go see a therapist that's okay too yeah I definitely agree with you guys I think we all need a therapist no matter how you know uh, mentally healthy and happy and sane we feel i think we all just need someone to talk to and get these things off our chest and just really mm-hmm. dig into um like what arlen mentioned those things that you need to unlearn the habits that you've taught yourself and kind yeah. of the things that you say to yourself mm-hmm. and it's really i'm so glad that we're in a time right now where it is becoming more okay to get mental health help and it's more accessible Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with getting help because in your life there's no point in your life where you can ever just do something alone you're always going to have help from someone there's always going to be someone who's influencing you or um like like it's going to be affect there's going to be someone who's having an effect on your life and you you don't get through it on your own you get through with people Mm mm-hmm so yeah but yeah it was really great talking with you guys and thank you so much for joining me to like to just chat and you know tell me about your experiences and your stories thank you for having us i really yeah, this great yeah thank you i'm glad you guys like felt comfortable and it was fun um so i'm just gonna wrap up now thanks for joining us today tune in next week for another episode if you're interested in participating in one of these episodes, please email us at somewhere.between.podcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to join our Instagram family at somewherebetween.fam to stay connected with updates, casting calls, and more. See you guys next week. Bye.